0: On today's episode of Gathering the Kings.
1: I come from very humble beginnings, but because of those humble beginnings, I've always had to be the hardest worker in the room. I've had to outwork people that maybe did have a natural acumen, maybe did have different advantages that I didn't have. So that level of work ethic and just always working harder than everybody else has always been big to me.
0: You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolfe, featuring through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. I've got Lawton Makovic here on the King stage. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me out today. You know, I, I appreciate it. I gotta tell everybody, because some some of these folks are listening. They can't see you. You've got this. Awesome sign behind it that says outwork everyone. He's got it all lit up and just awesome there on his on his desk to watch. Why, why, why that sign? Why 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 did you put that there? I've never been
1: the smartest person. I mean, like a lot of entrepreneurs sure. uh, and you know, highly successful business people. I was a C student, sometimes a B student in like gym or right. health, like the easy ones that you know, find. <laughs> basketball coach was the teacher so i got to be kind of thing yep, uh, yep i it it i've never been the smartest person in the room and i don't f- pretend to be i'm not the most talented like just naturally gifted with this this acumen for business i come yeah. from very humble beginnings but because of those humble beginnings i've always had to be the hardest worker in the room i've had to outwork people that you know maybe did have a natural acumen or maybe did you know, have different advantages that I didn't have. So sure. that, that, that level of work ethic and just always, always working harder than everybody else has yeah. always been big to me. So when I got, when we moved our offices here, I had this big open space behind my desk and I said, like, man, I got to put something there. Yeah. So that, it was an easy fit. There's a, there's a local metal fabricator here in Wichita that, that has done some other work and signage and stuff that, so they could, you know, do something, a little backlit, something cool. And they did it for me and they knocked it out. And everybody likes it.
0: Yeah, man. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to have to get, I'm actually coming to Wichita here pretty soon. Take my, take one of my franchise teams out to, to dinner. So I'm going to have to get that contact from you. Uh, okay. Cause I'm looking to have a sign made too, but, but then we're going to have to do lunch or dinner, but dude, I, I appreciate you being here. Tell us what kind of business that you have and and we'll get the conversation rolling here.
1: Sure. My, uh, I'm in real estate always in all ways. Real estate's my thing. Anything and everything, real estate. I've got a brokerage. I have an investment company, wholesale company. I've got rentals, flips, all of the above. So 99.9% residential. We've done a few commercial deals that kind of roll our way, but it's mostly residential and small multifamily.
0: Yeah. I love it. Okay. So at this stage, you've got a lot going on. My first question is always the same to each one of my guests. Why are you still doing this thing? Obviously, you've 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 accumulated enough, especially since you've come from humble beginnings like me. You've accumulated enough to probably just be okay, but you're not okay. Why? Sure.
1: My wife and I we have this conversation. I don't know about once a year because it always seems to come up in some form or fashion. Not that it's a not that it's a bad thing or like a rift, but you know, there's always this. Yeah. When's it going to be enough? When is enough enough? Like are That's you right. always going to be doing this until you're 70? Like I didn't sign up for that. And it, it's not it's <laughs> not a dollar amount. It's not a number of doors like
0: yeah. I
1: don't see an an end because I don't really have an end goal. Yes, I'm I'm comfortable enough now that barring a something catastrophic where the world melts that i wouldn't be fine but you know knock Uh, on wood
0: nobody would in that
1: case like the business is in a place uh rentals i mean everything is in a place now or if i wanted to i don't want to take my foot off the gas but you know we're we could put it on cruise control but i have no interest in that i'm wildly competitive one of i always go back when i get this question one of my favorite books i've ever read i'm actually rereading it for the fifth or sixth time right now it's called winning by Mm. tim grover yes sir. he talks about when he was working out with mj working out with kobe working out with all you know the top 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 athletes it was like okay you've got six championships five championships all the mvps all the accolades why and you know Mm. they don't have a, a a problem with losing they don't have a Problem with winning. They don't have an and you know, like this big end goal that, you know, I got to get to 10 championship rings and 13 MVPs. They just have to compete. They've always like, they just move on to the next, they just move on to something different. So I'll always be in real estate in some form or fashion till the day that I die. I will always be investing in real estate and lending to other people that were me 20 years ago. I will always be in the real estate space in some form or fashion. I think it's best investment anyone could ever make yeah. so i it's it's it, it sounds it's, like it's in your blood <laughs> it is i mean i i'm i'm crazy passionate about it which i'm i'm very blessed and i know i am to say that i don't feel like i am working right now like, right some days i feel retired i'm like this is my job like this is what i right. do for an income this is great this is awesome i love to do this so i'm um, I'm very, very fortunate to be someone that can say that I love, love what I do. I wouldn't have built the business if I didn't.
0: Yeah, I, I just so appreciate that perspective. And especially since you you mentioned winning, it's like this it's this chase. <clears throat> and, yeah. and Tim does a good job in that book of describing the chase to winning. And the second you lay your foot off the gas, like you said, or look the other way or not pay attention, it's just, you know, you get hit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, especially guys like you and I, that, you know, like you said, came from humble beginnings. I think that the reality is always so close to home for us of what it once was. That's right. What it once used to be. And so that drives us to keep winning. I have, since, since you brought up winning and, and that book, I have this quote that I, that I use uh, inside of one of my workbooks. But I, I said that confidence is the drug and winning is the dealer. And, and so there's this, there's this phrase that's, uh, or this mindset rather that you just, you you need to keep winning like every day you need to win. And sometimes it's right. small, sometimes it's big, but you've got to, you've got to, you got to stay focused.
1: Sometimes um, it's even measured in action, not taken.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. The negative as opposed to the positive. As
1: you know, a 19 year old Lawton that, you know, just wanted to make a bunch of money so he could have a nine eleven. would have made stupid decisions just to chase that next check because I really wanted that car or that suit or that house or something stupid was, you know, very short term and, you know, really instant gratification and, you know, stupid young money stuff. Whereas, you know, now I celebrate little victories in my head of like, you're growing up. Good job, dude. Good
0: job <laughs> it's so big i want to know like i mean we're 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 a little off the flow here but i love this stuff Tell, what what's an example of that right there because the listener right now remember they're six figures they haven't hit the seven figure mark yet they are winning to a degree yeah, absolutely. right but but maybe they're there's it's so far underneath all of the frustration and the so many hats and all the things that they're doing that they can't really see the wins what is sure. an example for you that you're talking about
1: well, I can tell you I mean, and tell you and tell your audience, and Chaz, I'm sure you'll agree as every other every other person that I've talked to about this in any sort of length has been like, "Oh, yeah, I remember that. The first comma was way harder than the second. Sure. Getting from zero to a hundred thousand was way harder than getting from a hundred thousand to a million. Yeah, at least for me that that struggle that grind that wearing every single every day and just i mean one little mistake one deal doesn't close and it's catastrophic yep. absolutely catastrophic whereas that same deal today is more of a speed bump it's a pothole it's like hey that still sucks like i would have still liked to close that deal like you know 20 grand's 20 grand i don't care how rich you are 20 grand's 20 grand right. um, but that would have been devastating in the beginning that's a fifth of the right. revenue right whereas now it's like well we had a on, less on to than, the next. yeah it's like yeah we had a less than stellar month but you know we've still got eight other deals that are going to close bills are still going to get paid employees are still going to get paid i'm still going to get everything's going to be fine lights are going to stay on we live to fight another day yeah. so i think that's i think to me that's probably the biggest i guess piece of advice as, you know, as, as you're building the business up, you know, keep that in mind. Like it does. I don't want to say it gets easier by, by any means because getting from a hundred thousand to a million wasn't just a, okay, cool. That was nice, but (laughs) it it's faster and it's easy. Oh, not easy, but easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the mindset there is spot on. And I liked how you alluded a few minutes ago to, in essence, good quality decisions. Like you said, oh, you're you're getting older, you're getting more mature. Like yeah, I see yeah. you, like talking to yourself. But that that's the reality of it is, is that along the way, and even now, it's about our decisions. And so that's kind of what you alluded to. So obviously I want to dig into that. That's kind of what the whole show is about. Before we get there though, how did you get started in business? How did you get started in real estate? I mean, obviously coming from humble beginnings, like did that. Did that correlate or was that just like, how how did you get here?
1: Sure, sure. So I have, or I I grew up in a really, really, really tiny town about an hour north of where I live now in Gossel, Kansas. I had 17 kids in my senior class. Yep. And that was a pretty big class. My younger brother, two years younger than me, had about 11 and that was about an average size. So we were big in anything you know about a country song or a Hollywood movie, like a one-stop sign dirt right. road town like that's where i grew up and it was awesome it was a it was a blast we had no money but that was okay because no one else did either so it wasn't like i was the poor kid getting bullied at school for wearing the same jeans two times a week it's like everyone's doing it. so it's like nobody's right. parents had money yeah. and we all could do whatever we wanted to do all the time because the town didn't have a cop because no one had any money the city didn't have any money to pick So. We did whatever we wanted all the time. It was an awesome place to grow up. I think if I would have grown up in a city that was a like a real town and not just like an unfortunate series of buildings, I think I probably would have been in jail a couple of times before I graduated high school. <laughs> I was enamored with real estate and architecture and sales and business and not having any money and seeing stuff on TV and just wanting to have money by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't care how how I was going to get it. I started dating this girl my sophomore year of high school and her stepdad is, is and was still a very successful businessman and entrepreneur in a town kind of in between Wichita, where I live now and Gossel. So when I would go over to her house to see that side of her family and stuff, I just remember being like, oh who is your stepdad? What is happening? So yeah, I mean, I had met him when I was 15. So a really impressionable age, didn't have a great relationship with my dad growing up. So he kind of became a father figure to me immediately. And we developed an insane relationship right away. Like I would go over to their house without my girlfriend at the time, because she (laughs) her dad's, I'd be over at her mom's having dinner with her stepdad. So Kind of weird looking back on it, but it all worked out.
0: Rich dad. Yeah,
1: What's that? It was the rich dad, was, poor dad. Yeah. He was my rich dad for sure. And he's actually now my business partner in one of our businesses. Love so it. all these years later, we got to, but that's down the road. Uh, yeah. I went to work for him as an intern. I was like, dude, I don't know what you do. He's like, I have an insurance company. I'm like, cool, great. I I want to go into insurance. Right. Great. Yep. I, <laughs> I, I, what do I, you I have, have? I good. want I am doing nothing and I want to be you as a person. So if that means I need to be an insurance agent, let's go. So at 17, I took and passed my insurance test. Love it. And then they didn't issue my license because they couldn't because I wasn't 18. So uh, on my 18th birthday, I was officially licensed. That was my birthday present. There you uh, go. And I got into that and I worked for him and he showed me the ropes, how to tie a tie, shake a hand, run a meeting, talk to people, do sales, do business, all of that. And he... If it wasn't for him, I would have definitely taken the more traditional path of a small town kid. I would have gone to a JUCO, majored in beer and girls, and then came home and worked on a farm or went to work as a diesel mechanic or something that has no bearing on my life now. But because of him, I took the leap into sales and business. And the day after I graduated high school, I graduated high school on a Saturday and moved out on that next Monday, moved to Wichita, didn't know anybody. I knew I wanted to go into real estate insurance wasn't my bag. I wasn't passionate about it. Jason helped me see that, but he gave me the tools and laid the foundations for me to take that risk and say, I can oh. sell, I can do this. I'm going to go be a real estate agent. That's what I yeah. want to
0: do. I love it. Okay. So not only finding a rich dad and and him giving you some perspective and showing you the robes, it sounds like he he then was so open-handed with just the relationship and with you that it wasn't like insurance, cram, 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 no. cram. It was
1: Success, principles, business, mindset, here's a hundred books you need. Like he just, he said, you need to be a sponge and soak up everything I tell you. And he let me go on appointments with his high net worth clients that he was doing investment strategy with. And I watched him talk and, you know, took mental notes and sometimes physical notes and circled, say this to people. Uh huh. uh, But I mean, yeah, he, he, he laid the foundation for my understanding of business and what it could do. And there's no ceiling and man, you have what it takes. Like I can see it. I see myself in you like gave me that confidence at 16 to make the decision. Like I never took an ACT. I never even went on a college visit. Like I, I why? And all, all my friends were like, are you not? I'm like, nope. They're like, Really? I'm like, I got this dude over here that's already rich, told me that he, that I remind him of him. I don't need to go to college. That's my college. That's my tuition. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I paid dues there, worked for nothing, you know, filing and, you know, all the intern. Things. (laughs) Chief executive bitch of the office. (laughs) That was me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just so appreciate the story, just the vulnerability of where you started, but I think every entrepreneur can relate to that, whether they went and did the intern thing or not, or whether they took advantage of the rich dad or not, or whether they even had the rich dad or not. Right. Uh, I think that we can all relate to that story of knowing that there's something more, that there's got to be a different way. And that's why, that's why we are where we are. And so I want to I kind of use that as a segue into, okay, so you've, you've decided to go into real estate. You're, you started off as an agent. You're selling homes. But to pass the first hundred thousand pass that that first comma, like you said. But not to the second comma, not to the million somewhere in there. I want to know a good decision that you made that looking back on it is like, okay, wow, if I could repeat this 10 times over, this is what I would tell the people
1: listening. I started flipping houses. That was my being a real estate agent to me in the beginning meant like, I'm going to be Josh Altman or Ryan's hair hat on million dollar listing. Right. And I'm going to wear the suits and I'm going to sell houses and I'm going to have cool cars and I make a ton of money and I'm going to build this team. And that's kind of how it went. I did wear all the suits and I, I, I mean, I was 18 getting, I was fresh into it. I looked even younger than I did now. If I wasn't wearing a suit, I looked 12. So how am I going to get people to trust me to help them with what more than likely is the largest thing they're ever going to purchase their biggest yeah. asset yada 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 all the things yeah. i'm dressed to impress no one in our market wears suits everybody wears baggy khakis and polos it's a bunch of old white dudes at like that's the standard i yeah. had to stand down i had to differentiate myself and other than being like, well, I'm I'm young and I'm new. And so you're my only client. So think about all the attention you're going to get. No one wants to hear that they're your right. only client. They want to feel like they're your only client. No one wants to work with someone that's got no frigging clients. Right. So uh, I think that was a huge thing for, for me was dressing to impress, to stand out. And uh, more more importantly, it was about Like it was about education more than anything. I I think the biggest piece of it was I didn't just inherently know things about the local real estate market because I didn't live here. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know like, oh yeah, that's a good school or Oh yeah. I knew someone that went there. Everything was, everything was Spanish. It was all foreign to me. So my, my first initial deep dive into real estate was I need to know everything. And I didn't have the time to, well, you know, that's just going to take time. You have to, you know, two years in the market, you know, you'll start to learn neighborhoods. I ain't got the kind of time. I got bills to pay today. I have no job. I have no call. I have no backup plan. I'm going to make it in real estate. So I scrolled through the MLS, like people scroll through Facebook. I learned the neighborhoods and I learned the builders and I learned prices per square foot. And I learned school right. districts and I learned HOA. I learned anything and everything that I I had a question about it was just self education and I took a bunch of as many as I could that would agree with me I would I would just sit down and chat with other agents in the office that I was with that I knew were doing higher volume and I would hold their open houses for free I'd be like you need to go sit at your pool or go to the Chiefs game on Sunday you don't need to be sitting this $200,000 house I do I'm not going anywhere I'll hold my buyers, yada, yada, yada. So the education thing, I think for me was the biggest advantage that I had because I could walk into it and I could be showing you a house or getting ready to list your house. And you could ask me anything and I would know. I never, ever wanted to be in the spot where I could be like, sorry, I knew, like that's not an excuse.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The information's out there. There's YouTube, there's Google, there's the MLA. I've got access to all of it and everybody does. Educate all the information is out there for anyone to use. It's just, do you want to eat? Like, do you, do you want it bad enough that you're going to study neighborhood average price per square foot? And right. is this development open builder or closed builder? Like no, no one else that I knew at 19 was doing that on a Saturday right. night, yeah, but 100%. I knew that, 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 that was the only way that I could shorten curve, that learning curve inside of that first two to three years. Like I don't got that kind of time, dude. I'm not gonna go be a part time bartender. I can't. I'm 19. Yep. I'm I'm ramping this up. I'm shortening the curve and I'm getting after it. And mm-hmm. that served me well. You know, I would I would I would have answers. I never had to, well let me ask my boss, let me ask right. my broker. It was yep. I had the answer. I had it's, the answer.
0: Exactly. Or at least the to answer, answer to say, there, you know, let me let me figure it out.
1: I, I knew how to get it.
0: Exactly. And well, so I, I've it. heard you say. have heard you say a few things. I want to outline them for the for the listener. Number one, you said that you had to differentiate differentiate yourself. And for you being nineteen, it was like a forced differentiation because you were nineteen. No one was going to take you seriously. So for you, it was wearing the suit and tie. Now, for the guy that's listening right now, who's an electrician, or the guy who is on Zoom and he's you know working with marketing clients or whatever, maybe it's not a suit and tie, but Mm-hmm. The idea of differentiating yourself, especially if you're younger or if you're newer into business, you've got to do that. You've got to differentiate yourself no matter what. Yeah. Uh, but for you, you had to, you're 19. It's so funny in my story. I also took the insurance exam at that age, but I was on the claim side first. There you go. And I'm I'm working for a big company. They're wearing slacks and polos, and I'm the only guy wearing a suit and tie to work. And everybody knew who I was because of that. Right. So I, I have to highlight that. Now, the second piece I heard you say is the education, which is... You have got to know your stuff. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to be the end all be all, the most excited, or the most knowledgeable, but spend the time, is what I heard you say. Spend the time becoming an expert. It doesn't just happen. And so many times in business and sales, because anybody can just do it, people just kind of jump in. They start their own business, they start in sales, whatever, but they're not willing to read the books, read the or watch the videos, whatever it is. Cause I was doing the same exact thing. I had buddies calling me at nine, 10 o'clock at night going, Hey, you won't come out. I go. You're right. I won't. Yeah. I'm. Uh-uh. I'm finishing the last chapter in Think and thinking, grow rich, and I'm going to bed. You yeah, know, so I got
1: to show of houses at eight no. o'clock all morning while you're sleeping in, hungover. I got exactly,
0: to do. exactly. Hey, kings and queens, Chaz Wolf. I want to talk to you about something that's super important to me. We put a lot of time and effort. We meaning myself and my team into this podcast, into the content that goes out every single day. And if you have been getting any sort of value or insight from this, we want it to be able to reach other business owners too. So we would love if you would like, comment, share, leave a review, post, share again, all of the things on social media, on all the different platforms, or even on the podcast mediums of Apple and Spotify. We would love to be able to get our content into more hands, more entrepreneurs so they can grow their business as quick as possible. Together, we are building a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are committed to growing their businesses to new heights. So, let's do this. Let's help each other. Let's help each other grow. So, I think I think that all those things make sense. The last thing I want you to kind of press into a little bit, you said flipping, which, you know, yeah. that's obviously not applicable for every industry listening, but what is applicable sure. is understanding the bigger industry that I'm in and understanding maybe another product or an investment. So, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not just, you know, like a pony with one leg or a, a flamingo with one leg. For you, flipping was the next thing that made sense to go along with what you're currently doing. You're already looking at houses. You're already seeing best deals. You're already in the mode. Why not create something else on the side of this? Talk about that from, not necessarily from a perspective of flipping, but more so of the mindset that, you're, that you were leading into that with.
1: Sure. It was, for me, it was more of an, it, it, it was an occupational hazard. Like I'm looking at all these deals. I'm working with a ton of investors already. And it's like, man, I'm sick of going to closing and seeing that this guy made 40 and I made three. Right. And it's now he did way more work than me. He owned yeah. the house, took the risk, did the remodel. I put the sign in the yard and listed it and sold it. And I did that. And we got paid in proportion to the work that we did. I'm not like, oh, agents are underpaid. Most oftentimes they're over. Yeah. And that's coming from an agent. I got tired of helping other people create wealth in real estate. And I was getting paid from a transactional perspective. If I I broke my leg and couldn't show houses because I can't hobble around, I'm out of money. I have no job. And for me at the time, for context, this was was year four of me being an agent. And my business partner, not Jason, my business partner on the perot bridge and I, we had started a team. We were working together. We were under a different brokerage. we had built that up and scaled that out. we had our own staff, we had our own building, we're doing everything. We're still under the brokerage. We had broke away, gone independent, and at this point, it was I had I had scaled myself out of being an agent because I had always wanted to. Right. After that, that second year of being an agent, I felt like I went a hundred times harder. I did way more deals. I, we we scaled this up, we got the team, we got the staff and we're, we're running and gunning. And I made like $13,000 more, like netted. And I was like, this is horse. this, this <laughs> is- I, I, you know, it's like, oh, sales has no ceiling, you can do this. And that's right. But when you're an yeah. agent and you're showing houses, you can be in one house at one time, with one client. Right. And so there is a certain bandwidth and capacity Yeah, there is a ceiling to the income you have as an agent, not as an owner or a business person, but as an agent, you have capacity. You you have a ceiling, and for me, I figured that out and at the end of my second year when I was looking and I was like, "Are you kidding me? I did all that for essentially the same pay." Terrible. I was really mad. So my business partner and I decided to hire agents so we could stop being agents because I, I knew right then and there that it was a means to an end. I'm gonna continue to do this, continue to crush it, continue to make a bunch of money so that I can take that money and invest in real estate so that I don't have to show houses when I'm 70 or when I'm 25, when I'm 30, whenever it is, as fast as I can track this out and say no more open houses, no more showing, no more anything except for, I mean, if a a past client called me today and said, I'd like to sell this and buy a $2 million, I'm showing that house. I'm there, I'm on it, I'm all over it. So we'd scaled that up. Built the brokerage. I scaled myself out of needing to be in the day to day and needing to be in the production so that I could go invest, so that I could flip houses, start buying rentals, start building that piece. And I got my ass kicked. I got my teeth kicked in on my first two that I bought. I lost 80 grand on one of them. I lost 70 grand on one of them. I moved into the other one because I couldn't write another check to sell it. So, and My wife and I still live there. So it all worked out well. But at the time, there was no silver lining. It was all all doom and gloom. It was bad. But any sane person would have said, all right, flipping houses, probably not for me. That was my entire (laughs) savings account. And now I am broke. So for the next year as an agent, or the next year, I have to go back to being an agent and flipping houses so that I can pay mortgage and basic living necessity. So... For me, it was it was, okay, how do we how do we make that money back? We keep flipping houses. We take these lessons we've learned and this ass kicking that we just took. And we say, okay, we're gonna continue to flip houses. We're gonna, we got, we got all these mistakes out of the way on the first one. This could not have gone any worse. Contractor ran away with money. Oh yeah. Did issue permit? I mean, everything that could have gone wrong. That house, Murphy's Law. Everything that okay. could have possibly gone wrong, 806 Cedarbrook in Derby, Kansas. <laughs> wrong. I'm telling you. It was awful. Couldn't have been any worse. But it was okay. We I I can't just take this L and move on. It's like I'm right. I'm I'm too stubborn and competitive for that. Yeah. So
0: yeah, we're
1: gonna get back after it. We're gonna build this up and I think there's something here. And I I just come from the brokerage. And we had just built all the systems and the SOPs and the operations and the checklists and everything. So immediately from the jump, I took that approach to it. It yep. was, okay, this isn't just a, oh, let's figure it out and go pick out some tile and pay. And we'll. not everything was systematized from day one. Now It's evolved and it's gotten a lot better, but we yep. had some kind of system. We had some kind of checklist and system operation, even in the beginning when there was no employees, it was just me. There was. There was a rhyme and a reason to everything from the jump, and I think that 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 allowed us to see some success early.
0: Yeah, so I mean, bro, you just Mm. it just flowing out of you like gold. I appreciate that, but the vulnerability of okay, so you were doing well as an agent, but you realized it was limited because of the you know where you could be. I think every business owner eventually understands that that if they're going to be the guy or be in the business, there's only so many jobs or clients or whoever you can get on. Or get completed. So you've got to be able to remove yourself by building a team. And is, that's what you did. But at the same time, you're investing in this other thing that didn't go so well. Like you said, probably get your, you know, hiney kicked in so much that you just probably walked the other day, walked the other way. But instead, you actually pressed into it, but specifically with SOP. So that's what I want to just kind of repeat that. I, not that I want to repeat the story, but the, the reason you pressed in is because you knew that it was going to work. You just had to do it in a proper way. And for right. you, what that looked like was, okay, systems and processes is a fancy word for a a, a checklist, right? Like create a list that you can repeatedly do over and over that you can actually show someone else to do. And then you can manage from the list as opposed to having to physically be there or physically doing it yourself. Right. Now I want to know what was the mistake? Now you kind of already alluded to a little bit, the, the losing of the money in the first deal, but in general, in building these businesses, what's that one bad mistake that you've made that that you would stay away from, but specifically that you would share here today so and that the other people listening would be able to write it down as well?
1: I mean, that, the, the biggest mistake from a dollar perspective was hiring that first contractor that I did. I mean, he walked away with every dollar that I had. And I, like, looking back, I can't even say, like, oh, I had a bad feeling. It was in my gut. We were homies first. Like, wow. he was a friend of mine, we ran around in the same circles and no one was like, Hey man, you, you shouldn't do it. Like this was out of the blue. I would later find out that I wasn't the first victim, but no one in our friend group was in the real estate space. So sure, I think the, I think the biggest mistake there was not vetting and asking other people. And, you know, if I had to, I had to label it. It was ego. Like, I didn't want to go to people and be like, hey, can you help me figure out who this guy is? Like, is he any good? I was like, no, I'm a grown man I'm making this money as an agent. I'm a big baller. I can make decisions. I'm good at this. Right. And, you know, had I had I asked two of our vendors, you know, the people that we get our alluring from, he had a hundred and two thousand dollar outstanding collections account that he hadn't paid in six years. So, had I just been like, "Hey, flooring guy that I know really well, what do you know about this guy?" He would have said, "Ah, no, absolutely not. run, but I did I didn't reach out. I didn't ask, I didn't vet. Right. I just said, "He's my friend. What could go wrong he's got a yeah. you know he's got a nice little construction company seems to be doing well. What could go wrong everything so, yeah. uh, so the, the vetting
0: process that you that you learned there would you is i mean <clears throat> The SOPs, if you will, the the systems and process that you learned out of that has that translated into hiring into other vendors. Like, is that vetting process now something that's kind of like just in the blood now?
1: Yeah. So we're 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 fortunate now. Everything er, the the two project leads that we have, the two separate crews that we have that run our jobs in Wichita, you know, each of them have a main point of contact that I deal with consistently, and we've been working with one of them for four years now. It's back, he was the first one after the last guy. Oh, he was the second one after the guy. Okay, so you found him pretty
0: early on. Yeah.
1: So I didn't really have a vetting process back then. It was just more of, I don't do labor deposits. Like I don't do, hey, you know, we need 30% upfront to get started. No, you don't. I will buy the material that you need. I'm not giving you money to go buy material. I will go and purchase it and have it delivered and you guys can start. And it worked with that guy and we've just been running and gunning and it's been super transparent. Sometimes we go over budget and that is what it is. It's the remodel game that I mean, right. happens. Long walk for a short drink of water, I guess is what I'm getting at here. There, We don't really have a vetting, a standardized written down vetting process for our contractors simply out of the the lack of necessity we do certain things you know we're we're huge on culture you know from top to bottom every company is yeah yeah we've got it written down we've got it ratified like this is what we're uh people that don't do that they're like we're we're big on culture it's like you just hire people that you like you hire people that are like you and that's not always the best thing the 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 I think what's been the most key to us retaining the same core group of seven or eight contractors, which is a high turnover thing, especially in the investment world, especially in our market, everybody is, there's, there's so many investors and flippers and landlords that you know need subcontractor crews to go do you know little stuff, big right. stuff, whatever it is. We've kept the same core group of guys for three, four years, and I'm really, really proud of that. Because nobody keeps the same core contractors for more than 90 days or a year.
0: A, a project or two. Yeah. Right.
1: So we we pay fair, we pay fast. We don't try nickel and dime. I'm a huge proponent of, hey, you know, the guys are working late on this one because it's, you know, it's it's punch list week. I'll call and have pizza delivered. I mean, I spend 30 bucks and my guys are happy and they're gonna work later because they know they're taken care of. They know they're appreciated. It's it's I mean. It's human beings working with human beings. I've yeah. I've, I've never looked at it of like, I'm the owner, I'm the investor, I'm taking all the risk. You're down here. You work for me. It's look, you guys need work. I need work done. Let's work together and build a long lasting relationship. I don't want to go every 90 days and yeah. find a new contractor crew and teach them how I like it and answer right. all these frigging questions. It's like every single job we've done over the last four years together, it's like, we're, there's just less and less and less and less and less questions to get to the finish line. Because we use yep. the same paint, the same tile, the same flooring, the same doors, the same lock sets, the same light bulbs. Everything is systematized for us to order. When we start a new job, someone goes and walks it and says, we need two faucets, two this, 18 of that, nine of these, one of these. And it's all ordered right away. The contractors love it because you know yeah. you do one house with us, you've, you've seen them all. So there's right. just less and less what tile goes where. What color do we paint the doors? It's the right. same rinse and repeat all the time. And they they seem to like the system. You know, it's 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 you guys have full autonomy when it comes to the construction piece cuz I'm I'm not a contractor. You're a GC. I'm not a general. I didn't take the test. I don't have all the codes <laughs> and license stuff. You did. Yeah. So if you're going to tell me that's how you have to build the deck, cool. Great. Yeah. But you need to play within this sandbox that we've built and you need to play within this budget. How it gets done, totally up to you.
0: Yeah. I love the, I love the sharing of autonomy there because obviously he, they are willing to play inside the sandbox Mm -hmm. and that's the system, the process that we've created here. That could be with SOPs. It could be with paint colors and things like that. It could just be with, Hey, here's the number. And then I'm going to, I need you to go fill the space with this number. And so I think that, that you're spot on with, with everything. But you've you've said so much from like like a value perspective. I just want to encourage the listener to go back and and re-listen to everything that you just said because as far as like hiring and culture and being able to take good care I mean you you just went on like a value rant which was incredible. But I do want to get to the speed round here. The the first question that I've got for you and this might be might be a little difficult, but okay. All these little businesses that you got, not little, all the big businesses all put together Uh I want you to, I want you to dwindle them all down into one trackable metric. What is it?
1: The first metric that comes to mind is like our culture rating. Like how are we really doing like scale of one to 10? What's how are we really doing internally? Like and who's
0: great. Who's grading that?
1: My director of operations and I. So when we meet, it's all on the agenda. And if it, if it dips below an eight, that's a conversation piece. And we're going to dig into that right away. I say that and it sounds canned and it sounds like, like I'm reading a note card response. We love culture at One Roof; It's great. And we do. It's a huge piece of our hiring. It's a huge piece yeah. of our retention. It's a huge piece of driving the decisions that we do make. We check everything and everyone against you could be doing you could be doing 80% of our revenue as a sales guy. Like we would close up shop if you did not work here. If you're a friggin' cancer and you're bringing everything down in here, bro, we'll go do 80% of someone else's revenue. I don't need, that. Yeah. you know, you change the people or you change the people. So yep. it, it sounds like a canned response to say culture, but I, I, I truly believe that if you don't get that right, nothing else matters. You have all the revenue you could have all the, margin. You can track this, you can track that, you can trash your cogs, you can track there's a million metrics, there's no shortage of things to track and software to help you track it. Uh, right. But something for us that's it's, it's subjective, which makes it really difficult to track because yeah. it, it really is two people's opinion.
0: I was going to say, so how do you know if you're an eight or if you're a two?
1: That's a good question. I don't know if I have the answer for it. That's, you know, it's, it's, I think culture is such a delicate topic and, but, or, you know, people can make it delicate. They can make it complicated, but I, I really don't think it's, it's an overcomplication. Like you don't want to mortgage the future on, on one person or, you know, making a bad hire. I think that, um, a huge piece for me and it's, it's, it, it really, when it comes to us hiring, it boils down to: Are you a butt or an and? Mm-hmm. Are you an and or a but? And I stole that from Nick Saban, the head coach for Alabama, and he says when they go on these recruiting trips, you know they 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 have their pick in the litter. It's four and five star guys all day long. The list is insane of who they if. If they want you and you want to go to Bama, you can go to Bama. But everything that they boil it down to is, we want to hire ands. We don't, or we we want to recruit, hire, you know, whatever sure. ands on the team. A and D, not buts. B U T. And he says, okay, cool. They're a five star recruit. They got you know great speed. He's an awesome receiver. He's got awesome hands. He never drops a ball. You know, yada yada yada. But he's always late to class. His coaches say that he skips workouts. You know, he got to a little trouble off the field in his junior year. Maybe it's not the kind of guy that we want at Alabama versus that same player. And he's a leader in the locker room and all the guys respect him. And he's the first one in line at all the drills. He leads by example, you know, right. on and on and on and on and on So Love are that. you is after every interview, it's, is this person an and or is this person a but? And we don't we don't want to hire the butts.
0: Yeah. Do you have any, and I, I'll try to keep this short here because we're running out of time, but do you have any specific questions that in the interview that you like to ask that helps you identify whether they're an and or a but?
1: I like to ask them to tell me about a time where they had to be coached. Tell me about a time where you didn't know everything and someone had to teach you. Tell me about that. I think it's a telltale into like, I mean, that's gotta be one of the biggest things, especially when you're hiring young or new salespeople or even ones that have been in the industry for a long time that you know have always done things a completely different way than our process and what we're used to. Whoever it is, it's all gonna be new information to this person, whether it's new to sales or new to our way of sales or our p- process or our business, you're gonna have to be coached. You're gonna have to be taught it's all going to be very, very important that you can take this information and be coachable. The best athletes, the best players in the world are the most coachable. Like it, that's a huge one for me. I never miss that question. Love it. Love it. My, okay. Uh, our director of operations likes to ask, tell me about how you organized your closet.
0: Oh, and
1: she's got her own rhyme and reason for that. It probably has something to do with you know, how organized is this person? How sure. how how coordinated are they? Like if they're, you know, if we're going to hire you to be in transaction coordinator where you know, your job is to dot maybe. I's and cross T's right. and your response to that is, I don't really know, I just kind of throw it all on the chair in my room and it's like, okay, maybe like that's some insight into who you really are, you know, outside of, you know, the canned interview questions.
0: Yep. Love that. What book would you recommend that a six-figure business owner read who's trying to scale past himself or herself?
1: Leadership and Self-Deception.
0: Okay. What's your one takeaway from that book?
1: Don't see pr- problems, see people.
0: I uh, love it. Okay. Yes. Do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs?
1: Network, yes. Mastermind, no.
0: Okay. And any particular reason why the yes and the no?
1: No. I With where we are, just here locally. There's not a lot of mastermind groups. I guess we kind of have a mastermind group that we're putting on this Thursday. It's the first time that we've ever done it. We've got a little event venue here downtown near our office and we're expecting 70 to 100 people to show up. I've got some some hyperactive buyers and clients of ours and myself, we're going to be on a panel. I didn't put myself on the panel. I'm kind of moderating the panel Sure. Uh, so we're going to field questions from the audience and answer some predetermined questions. Awesome. Just kind of have a good time calling it Sips and Flips. So
0: There you go. Love it. Yeah, I think that'll be super helpful. Okay, and
1: then last question here for you. If you lost it all, what would you do? Get it back.
0: <laughs> you didn't even think twice about it. No, I... I, I same industry, same, same motion, yeah. same
1: everything? Same industry, same everything.
0: You just start all over again.
1: Sure. I mean, knock on wood, but yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, real estate's, I like think I said earlier, in in some form or fashion for the rest of my life, I'm going to be in real estate. I hope to 20 years down the road, I'm not chasing down the next house to flip every month. It's more of, hey, deals are coming to me and they're office parks or apartments or, you know, something slower and longer term but you know, until then it's, it's make hay while the sun shines and go, go, go. And if tomorrow the world melted and everything went away and I went to zero on Wednesday, I would open up shop. I know what to do. We would just get back after it.
0: Yeah. Love the, love the response. I've, I've so appreciated, not just the value, but the energy. I can tell you operate at a frequency that, that you're running fast all the time. I appreciate that. I I try to Operate at the same frequency, and I think that the listener, hopefully, they could, they could take away the passion from that. But I think it takes a certain level of energy to operate at the level that you do with so many of the different things going on. The even just the mindset that you've given, it takes work, man. And and I can passion. tell you put in the work.
1: It's a, it is a passion thing, you know. It's it's. I spoke at a high school last year or two years ago to one of their entrepreneurship classes, and before I left, one of the kids was like. Why, like, what, like, what would you give advice to the whole class? Like just one little anecdote before you leave. And it's, everyone's got a thing. Everyone has their thing that they're just in love with just innately. And it might change. It might not change. I was fortunate enough to have mine at 18. Yeah. At 16. And the piece of advice was find your passion and find a way to get paid for it.
0: Yeah. Love it. How can, how can the listener connect with you, Lawton?
1: I'm on Facebook. Name's Lawton Makovic, L-A-W-T-O-N. Last name M-A-K-O-V-E-C. I'm on Instagram by the same name, at Lawton Makovic. And they can email me anytime. It's Lawton, L-A-W-T-O-N, at net. One is spelled out. So dot enet
0: Love it. From culture building, team building, seeing people, Outworking everyone, coming from nothing, finding a rich dad, the whole deal. You, you've, been, you've been incredible today. Thank you for your time. And we wish you absolutely nothing but success and all that you got your hand in.
1: Appreciate it, Chaz. Thanks again for having me on, man. Thank you for listening to Gathering
0: the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together one other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1000 Kings. Talk soon.